This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Please do not forget, top of the hour, a couple of special guests. Uh, we'll kick it off with Marty Walsh, the executive director of the NHL Players Association. Also, um, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com on the Toronto Maple Leafs looking to close out against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tonight, meanwhile, Vegas looked to close out against Winnipeg. Uh, Linda Cohen, our friend from ESPN, is aboard with me here now, and she's in Vegas where fans there are hoping for a celebration and, and moving on to the next round. And meanwhile, Linda, as you well know, Rick, Bonus is just trying to stay alive for one more game. First of all, Linda, thanks so much for hopping aboard. How are you today? Good to catch up again. Hey, Jeff. Same here. Great to be on, as always, for sure. Listen, well, listen, uh, I know you have yeah, the, a... Yes, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, go it's Linda, great to Linda. be back in Vegas, but you know how it is in these playoff series, and we've seen so far, when you have a chance to win a series at home... A couple of teams or get an edge at home. A couple of teams have failed to do that. We saw that last night, of course, with Colorado against Seattle. And then, of course, we saw Carolina with a chance to eliminate the Islanders. They couldn't do it. So, you know, it's, it's just true to form here, Jeff, as we always love with these Stanley Cup playoffs. They're very unpredictable, especially in this first round. Yeah, and to your point, um, you never want to let a team that you have uh, on the mat off the mat. And listen, the Islanders are feeling like that. The Florida Panthers are feeling like that. Like, you, you know the vibe. And, you know, before we talk about Vegas and um, uh, yeah. Vegas and Winnipeg here, I, I do want to I, I reference um, the Seattle Kraken from last night because you, you wrote something last night about Philip Grubauer specifically. And, you know, yep. kick off the show today, I rattled down this, this list of goalies that, you know, we're all talking talking about and it's led by Jake Ottinger who's probably the best goaltender in the playoffs he's been nothing short of phenomenal and we we obsess about the Akira Schmid story taking over the number one job in New Jersey and you know we talk about Vasilevsky and what's happening to him in long shots and um, Stuart Skinner in Edmonton has you know got a lot of uh, got a lot of oxygen but the one guy who may have the biggest effect so far on his team is someone that we're not talking about at all and there he was again last night as, you know, Seattle uh, Seattle wins and they could close out a Climate Pledge Arena. No one's talking about Philip Grubauer. You tweeted about him last night and mentioned him, and I'm, I'm glad you did because, to me, he should get a lot more attention, a lot more headlines, a lot more oxygen, a lot more, you know, conversations around him than he's getting. This has kind of been a major comeback for Philip Grubauer here. Yeah, you said it best, Jeff. Uh, you know, I've been covering a lot of Seattle Kraken games for ESPN, especially towards the end of this year, the regular season. But knowing about this team all year long in this second season of an amazing season uh, that Ron Francis has put together and Dave Haxtell's coaching staff, the weakness going in is always about the goaltending. And Philip Grubauer, there was a point in the last month of the regular season, Dave Haxtell told me, he goes, I go, who's your number one goalie? I go, he goes, whoever's in the net tonight. That was just a few weeks before the playoffs started, okay? <laughs> That's how far Philip Grubauer has gone. And, you know, now his teammates, especially the last six weeks of the regular season, began to having a feeling of confidence in Philip Grubauer, something they hadn't had all season long. Mm. And we all remember the first season uh, for Grubauer with the big money. He didn't rise to the occasion, but now he's in his own. I'm knocking on wood for him because it means so much. And to do this, I mean, they haven't won anything yet. But to do this against his yeah. former team uh, just means, and, and you're right, no one's talking about Groovy, as they call him, but uh, they're talking about him now, especially if he can, uh, you know, knock out Colorado, the reigning champs. 
One more thing before we get to Vegas and Winnipeg here. What to you has been the biggest story in these playoffs so far? Oh, you know, we're so treated to. That's a great question. I'm sure you ask all your guests that. But, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a bit stunned uh, with the, the Rangers' response at home against the Devils. Mm. Nothing against the Devils. Nothing against the Kira Schmidt. I still don't. I, I know everyone wants jumping on Schmidt's wagon, and I know it's amazing. He's a 22-year-old rookie, but the Rangers have not made it difficult at all for Schmidt. I mean, you would thought of Game Four was like a game in late October, the way they played, um, yeah. and so the response by the Rangers to me now in a series uh, tied at two, heading to a Game Five um, in Jersey. That's a bit shocking, uh, but you know, I just love what we see and. I, you know, from there's just that would probably be the first and foremost thing to have my head. And then, of course, the excitement. And you, you live this on a day to day basis, 365 days a year. If the Leafs can pull off uh, the improbable, the unthinkable <laughs> and finally win a first round series. <laughs> this I keep reminding all my friends that are huge Leafs fans. This thing is not over. This thing is not even yep. close. This is the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> that the Maple Leafs are facing off against, and how many times have Maple Leafs fans seen the the Maple Leafs uh, steer a situation like this into the ditch? I think a lot of Leafs fans, and rightfully so, aren't going to believe it until, and it's a big if, too, if uh, it actually happens. We'll we'll see later on tonight. So I, I look at the Winnipeg Jets and say to myself, Linda, it's not that the effort isn't there. It's just that the personnel isn't there. That Mm -hmm. unless Connor Hellebuck has an incredible evening and, you know, uh, channels the ghost of Terry Sawchuk, that this is going to be yeah. a tough night for the for the Winnipeg Jets. Like, you know, no Mark Shifley. We know all about Josh Morrissey and how Neil Pionk is trying to pick up all those minutes and do all the Josh Morrissey things in addition to what he normally does as well. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to see Nick Ehlers in there tonight for Winnipeg. But does this thing break down for you the way it does for me? Uh, the effort is there from Winnipeg, but they just don't have the bodies, the healthy bodies that the Vegas Knights do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, the effort is there. It has never left in all of the four games. I mean, I think the key, you know, and they, they don't want to lean on the injuries, but it's a fact. You know, their star players are not in yeah. this lineup, and Josh Morrissey is a Norris Trophy, you know, finalist, for goodness sake. Uh, such an amazing player. So, long story short of it, they know what they're up against. Uh, they know no one's picking them, mm-hmm. but they do. They're saying all the right things before the game uh, for tonight. Uh, but it's fact. It's reality. Uh, unless Vegas rolls over and dies tonight and puts out an effort they did in game one, which was awful, uh, I don't think Winnipeg mm-hmm. can, you know, realistically find a way to do it. Now, Connor Hellebuck has yet to steal a game. I mean, I lo- he's one of my. Uh, his, his, you know, he's so honest to a fault sometimes, right? Because, you know, after yep. the game four loss, he just said, he, you know, Hey, uh, they're getting lucky. Uh, you know, uh, and they're hitting. You know, the lucky bounces, tips. Love. You don't want to hear your goalie saying you know, the other team is lucky, whatever type of thing. But he's been in the business. Yeah. So if he can come out there and and steal a game, everyone will forget um, those comments. But kudos to Loren Brossois. The he's not just a backup, you yeah. know, anymore. As the Winnipeg Jets would like to chant. I mean, what he's doing and what that Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> team is doing in front of him. It, right, is yeah. remarkable, and he shut up a lot of those guys, and he is really focused. I talked to him yesterday, 
after practice, and he's like, you know, his team makes it easy for him. He said something very interesting. He said in the playoffs, usually, you know, your team adjusts to what the other team is doing. He says what's great about us and our core group, we don't have to do that. We make the other team adjust to what we're doing. So nothing has changed for Laurent Brossois in front of him, and that makes his job easier and he can come out there and be continue to be confident. While Connor Hellebuck on the other end, Vegas is succeeding and creating so much chaos in front of him. And Winnipeg, if they have any shot tonight, they got to stop that chaos yeah. from continuing. You know that that's an interesting comment from Boswell, and I wonder how much Linda. How, I wonder how much that is just a byproduct of uh, the play of Alex Petrangelo in front of Boswell. Uh, you know. Yeah. I um I had a really hard time this year with my Norris ballot. I think all of us did. Uh, there's so yeah. many great candidates and someone, you know, that should be in the conversation as well, very quietly, who had yet another great season and is having a great opening round of the playoffs is Alex Petrangelo. And how many times have we talked about, you know, maybe the hardest player to replace outside of your goaltender is your number one defenseman. Winnipeg is feeling that pain. Um, you look at how the Tampa Bay Lightning were completely different uh, without Victor Hedman in the lineup. And a healthy Alex Petrangelo, with the season that he's having right now, just makes it just makes everything better. And it makes everything easier. And it makes the puck bigger for goalies to see. It's easier for wingers. It's easier for, you know, it, it's easier when, when you have someone that can make a pass like Petrangelo does. Like the breakouts are that much more simple. Like it impacts everywhere. And I can't help as I'm hearing you talk about Brassois thinking to myself, how much of what Brassois is feeling is because of the play of Alex Petrangelo? Absolutely. And that's only on the ice, Jeff. How about in the room? Mm -hmm. This guy is such a tremendous leader, a Stanley Cup winner, of course, with the St. Louis Blues. And this don't forget, this Vegas group has a few guys that have won the Stanley Cup, and it goes a long way. Chandler Stevenson being another one, of course, just off the top of my head. But the the whole thing is yeah. don't sleep on Alec Martinez. Don't sleep on Braden McNabb. They are block shot machines. They hold their private block parties every single night. And that, too, makes <laughs> LB, as they call them, very, very comfortable. And, man, you know, back in the day I played goal, as you know, Oh, what I wouldn't give to have a couple of defensemen like that throwing their bodies uh, in front. But, you know, that's what the, you know, they did it all during the regular season. But isn't it amazing what we see in the postseason with all these series? Last night, getting back to the Kraken yeah. for a second, I saw the fabulous Matty sure. Beneers throw his body in front of a puck late in that game to preserve the lead. I mean, just remarkable what these guys are every night. Every series, yeah. you see something that just blows your mind. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take it another step as well for the Seattle Kraken. And I know we make a lot of you know Nathan McKinnon was you know his last shift was two fifty five. JT Comfort yeah. two fifty five. Uh, Miko Rantanen two fifty five. You know, Adam Larson and Jamie Alexiak were out there for, I think it was like 225. I, think I got the numbers here. I can find. Yeah. They, I mean, they were out there. I did two, 235 for Larson, uh, 227 for Jamie Alexiak. So as Colorado is throwing everything at Philip Grubauer, like everything, it all started with that, you know, Evan Rodriguez uh, save after Colorado pulled pulled the goalie, big shot by Yanni Gore, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful save by Rodriguez. And then it, 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 then Colorado was just flooding, 
flooding Grubauer, and it's Larson shot block machine. It's Alexiak shot block machine. It's every shift. It's every shot. It is a an absolute luxury as a netminder to have these players playing in front of you, especially when you have Nathan McKinnon at yeah two fifty five, Ranton and two fifty five, and Comfer as well. Anyway, a long a long winded way of me of, of saying you know this is a, it's a real luxury for Laurent Bossois here to have you know to your mention to you mention Alec Martinez, former Stanley Cup champion, scored a Stanley Cup winning goal. Alex Petrangelo, Stanley Cup champion, go all the way through the list and even up front throw Ivan Barbashev into that conversation. Yeah. St. Louis Blues. Yeah, like, they're good. They're veteran. It's funny, too, because the guy with the least amount of experience in the postseason, based on how long he's played, is Jack Eichel. And we wondered, what's Eichel going to yep. be like? And first game he struggled. Since then, Eichel's looked great, Linda. Yeah. Yeah, he's been great. I've been talking to, to him throughout the series. What, what I'm most impressed with, with Jack Eichel, yeah, he's put the puck in the net. That's amazing. But his ability to draw penalties. You know, we all knew Jack Eichel, yeah. as, along with Mark Stone, would be targets for the physicality of the Winnipeg Jets. Stone and Eichel, yeah. uh, who, you know, both targeted, they've drawn seven penalties combined so far over the four games. And that, to me, is amazing. And I'm not surprised with Jack Eichel. Boy, he's built for the playoffs. You know, we just had to wait a while. Yeah. His speed and his strength. <laughs> uh, you know, and Petrangelo always sticks up for this guy. Eichel leans on him for the ad experience. But Petrangelo's like, this is not shocking to me. But if those guys can keep yeah. it up, I just love the way uh, Vegas, especially Stone and Eichel, and they have to make sure this continues tonight. They have not responded to the retaliation with dumb penalties. And Bruce Cassidy is so impressed with that. He spoke about that yesterday, uh, especially with Stone. He called it unbelievable because, you know, uh, that Stone has handled it so well. Let me um let me let me let me cl- let me close on this one, Linda. So I've got about uh, I've got about thirty seconds here left. Okay. I want to pick up on something you said about Mark Stone. So, uh, with all due respect to Alex Ovechkin, who loves jumping into the glass when he scores, and those celebrations are fun. Yeah. I don't know that there's anybody in the NHL again, ex- except for Alex Ovechkin here. He's on his own category. I don't know that anybody has a better goal celebration or like better enthusiasm after he scores than Mark Stone. Is that the most excited you've seen anybody score goals? Mark Stone, Linda Cohen, 30 seconds, go. All right. Uh, the celebration by Matthew Kachuk last night from Florida wasn't bad either, by the way, <laughs> in overtime. <laughs> that was good, too. But, um, yeah, yeah I love that too. one. But uh, Mark Stone, amazing. And here's the difference. I know, in 20 seconds or less. Uh, veteran, leader, captain, two back surgeries in nine months. He could even celebrate even more considering what he's come back from. It's truly amazing. He's an easy guy to root for. He's genuine and he's humble. He's one of my favorite players. You want to go through a wall for Mark Stone. Yeah, and you can see it game in and game out. Uh, Linda, I've kept you long. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Enjoy the game tonight. Few, if any, enjoy hockey more than you. And always appreciate it when you share your knowledge and passion here on the program. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Anytime, Jeff. Always appreciate you. Thanks. There she is, the great Linda Cohen from ESPN, uh, part of the broadcast crew tonight. Game 5, Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. All right, hitting a break. Uh, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com coming up in a few minutes here. Uh, we'll get everybody teed up about the Maple Leafs. Checks notes looking to close out against the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
But joining me next he's the executive director of the NHL Players Association. We got a hot 10 with Marty Walsh. That's next. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2 across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Merrick Show back on the air. Uh, he is the executive director of the NHL Players Association, and we want to get right to the conversation. He is Marty Walsh, and he joins me now. Marty, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing good. Doing, doing real good. Well, you know, the um, this is, you know, as, as you well know, one of the biggest titles, uh, executive director of the Players Association uh, in the entire hockey world. There's there's as I was saying to someone the other day, there's like there's no time you can take the job and start when it isn't busy. So I think that one of the things that I'm most curious about since you since you accepted the position, uh, what have you been doing? Like what was what was job number one? I mean, I know there's like jobs two, three, four and five, but what was job number one when you first took over because anytime you get this gig you hit the ground with your feet running yeah well my first my first official meeting uh as new director was was with the pension funds uh looking at the pension funds and then for the last seven weeks i've been um been in the office i've been on the road i've met with teams met with players uh, met with some owners uh met with the commissioner a couple times um obviously it's playoff time now which is exciting time for hockey spending a lot of time watching a lot of games uh, you know, there's roughly four games on a night, so I'm watching the, the games and uh, looking at them through a whole different lens now. Obviously, as, as the as the player rep, and you know, watching um, you know the different teams and, and wishing them all well. But uh, really, my main focus for the next several months will be to to talk to the players as as, as much as possible. Um, you know, I've had a chance to to meet the uh, the executive board players and, and get to know them that are very active in the union. Uh, and then um, meeting individual players is important to me as well because you know it's, it's kind of you know showing them what I want to do to, as far as taking the NHLPA into a, a direction that that is is that they want to go into as well. So uh, it's been good. There's, there's a lot to learn. I've been meeting with uh, you know international hockey folks. I've been meeting uh, meeting with USA Hockey folks uh, next week. Um, and you know there's a lot of different associations talking a bit with the other um, EDs from the other leagues as well. Uh, so it, it's it's a bit of a learning curve, but it, it's you know I'm I'm into it now, so uh, I'm learning every day. Obviously, I still do that, but just trying trying to you know you know not getting into deep conversation yet. But there's enough coming up to to, yeah. to get get me engaged here. You know, I, I think one of the things that I was um, most curious about. Um, you mentioned meeting teams already, and I believe that Arizona was going to be one of those teams. I'm not sure. Um, if you've had that meeting yet, have you met? I know it's a, listen, we understand the sensitive situation uh, with the rink in Tempe and the, the nature of, of what's happening with Arizona. Have you met with the Coyotes yet? Yeah, I yeah. have. I've met with some of the players from the Coyotes um, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, had a, we had a meeting, um, I want to say it was in Seattle. And then uh, the week after that, I went to uh, Tempe to see a game. I was in the, the arena. Uh, I, you know, I did a walk around um did a formal walk around, and then the night of the game, I did an informal walk around. Uh, and certainly, you know, those players, um, you know, there's no secret they deserve to, in a National Hockey League players, they deserve to be in a National Hockey League rink. Um, you know, I met with the mayor when I was out there. Uh, I actually saw the commissioner out there as well. And we'll, we'll see what happens with this mm-hmm. ballot initiative coming up in a couple of weeks. And 
um, you know, um, everyone in Tampa is optimistic. It's, it's, it's the, the, the ballot question is more than just a hockey stadium. It's a $2 billion development of an, of a site that quite honestly right now is, is uh, mostly industrial waste. So uh, it's a big, it's a big right. opportunity for, for, the, for the city of Tempe, but more importantly for me right now at this moment, it's, it's, it's a potentially big opportunity for the players and, We'll see what happens with the ballot initiative, and, and depending on where that goes, that'll be that'll be our next. We'll have to take the next step. Do, do you have a um, a preferred course of action if uh, if things don't go the way uh, that the Arizona Coyotes and the and the NHL wanted to go in Tempe? You know, well, you know, I think at that point we'll have to have a, a conversation with the league, uh, with the NHL, uh, just to make sure that that we're on the same path. But at the end of the day. It is about getting these players into a in a National Hockey League rink um, to allow them the opportunity to play on the stage they should be playing on, uh, and also the fans. The fans deserve an arena that that is um, that is a National Hockey League arena. So you know it's, it's you know the, the Mullet Arena is there. It's 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 you know the, the fans. I love the fans that were there that night watching the game. I mean Arizona played hard. Sure. But it really is about it's about making sure that. Uh, you know, all 32 teams are playing in facilities that, that should be 21st century facilities. Quite honestly, uh, we, you know, we want to grow the game. We want, we, we want, we have the best athletes in the world playing hockey, and we want to put them on a, on a world stage. And part of being on a world stage is being in, in, in a world class arena. Um, let me ask you about international hockey. Um, as you all know, your predecessor Donald Fear always believed that um, that that was the the one place of of extra opportunity for the uh, for, for the for the players. Uh, I'm guessing you believe the same. And you know, so a couple of days ago, we had the the NHL announcing uh, the teams going to Sweden for the Global Series. There's been the announcement about games uh, between the Kings and the Coyotes in Australia. Um, your, your thoughts on on maybe you know. Whenever these announcements come out about the global series and players going, you know, last year was Switzerland and Germany and you know Sweden this year, I always wonder what is the end game, um, Marty. From your point of view, from a player's point of view, what is the end game here for international hockey? Whether it's you know best on best competitions or NHL teams traveling overseas. Well, I think I think there's there's not just one end game. I think when you talk about the Sweden uh, global series. You're talking about bringing out our teams, the NHL teams, over to Sweden to play in uh, four games, uh, four regular season games over there. Uh, each team will play two games, uh, and it's about show- showcasing uh, the NHL around around the world. Uh, the same can be said for Australia. Uh, it's about showcasing the National Hockey League uh, to Australia. To you know, with a lot of excitement in, in other countries around the world for the National Hockey League. We've seen other sports do it as well. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to uh, World Cup of Hockey or even the Olympics, I mean, a little different, but World Cup of Hockey, it's best on best. So it, it allows, you know, the best players in the world for their for their countries, play for their countries. Uh, but also it allows us the opportunity to, to market the game around the world and, and to have people watch those tournaments. I mean, there's been success in those tournaments mm-hmm. as far as viewership uh, in the past. And certainly the Olympics is a little different. I mean, Olympics is about players uh, it's in the collective bargain agreement uh players um you know there's an agreement to participate uh in the 2020 26 Olymp- 20 sorry excuse me, 2026 olympics but it's always subject to negotiation and acceptable terms with the IIHF and, and the ioc so we're, we're going to have conversations and that really is about travel and insurance and things like that so so there's you know there's different levels but at the end of the day i think anytime we can take the the national hockey league uh, tour world stage like the World Cup of Hockey and have it broadcast all over the world, or actually physically take mm-hmm. take the NHL teams to another country. I think that's always good for the game to grow the game. I think that 
you know, it's exciting. Um, it's exciting f- for for the players. It's exciting for the league, and it's exciting for the fans, and, and potentially uh, cultivating a whole bunch of new fans in, in interest in hockey. Um, uh, I know I'm right up against the clock with you here, so I, I do have one more international um, question. When, when the Olympic participation was taken away from the players, or they, they, it was it was obvious because of COVID that there, there was going to be no Olympic participation for for NHL players. It seemed as if the idea of keeping international hockey and best on best uh, on the front burner was very much being pushed forward by the players. And that's led by players like Sidney Crosby and led by players like Connor McDavid. We know this is something that players crave. They, they, they want this. This is, you know, this is a, a box they want checked as they go through their, uh, their elite careers in the NHL. Is this something, like I know this has always been you know, uh, Bill Daly's uh, dossier, international hockey, but from your experience, as, as short as it may be as the ED of the Players Association, is that still true that this is very much being pushed forward by the players more so than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, the, the players want to play for their country. They want to play under their flag. And, and, and you know, you, you think of a course of a career, you know, uh, Sidney Crosby's had a couple of opportunities. Some players might only have one shot, maybe two shots at most of playing for their country on, on a stage like that. And I think we know that when there's a hockey tournament uh, always being played, it's one of the best events when the NHL players participate. So, they want to play for their teams. They want to play for their countries. Uh, you know, they, they want a shot at the gold medal, and, and they want the experience. And I think that, you know, these players work work hard their whole career uh, from little kids. And when they were little, they were watching the Olympics like like I was watching. I remember the 1980 Olympics and the pride I had as as, as, a, as a youngster watching it. You know, I was I was 12 years old when that happened, when when Miracle on Ice happened. And um, you know, obviously I didn't I didn't play in the NHL, play hockey like to that level, but uh, having the best players in the world um, playing in the National Hockey League and giving them that opportunity to play under the under their flag, I think, is, is or for their for their country, I should say, is is really an amazing opportunity experience, and it, it only happens very rarely every four years. Uh, and obviously, circumstances like COVID happen, and other things happen that 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 make it more complicated. So, uh, the players definitely expressed to me the the, the interest and importance of, of doing the Olympics, playing in the Olympics. All right, uh, on there we'll wrap. Um, Marty, thanks so much for, for stopping by. I know you're really busy. Appreciate any time you can, uh, you can share with me. Um, much appreciated. Um, no, listen, I love enjoy that. the we'll playoffs. Come, I know we'll you're real busy. We'll come on again. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do something longer next time. I know, I know it's a busy time for you. Um, thank you so much, Marty. Much appreciated. All right, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Marty, Marty Walsh is the executive director of the NHL Players Association. Uh, just had a brief window, but listen, when he's available, I'm not going to say no uh, to having Marty Walsh here on the uh, on on the program. It, it is interesting too that you know right away when um, it became obvious that the players weren't going to go to the Olympics, um, it was very much the players that kept this thing moving forward. Now, I don't want to I don't want to say that 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 Bill Daly, um, who's a deputy commissioner of the NHL. Um, wants this to be a back burner issue. This has always been something um, that's been, you know, this is international hockey has always been Bill Daly's file. Um, I really feel for the NHL in a lot of ways around international hockey, uh, mainly right now because of the of the Russian question. And we've talked about that before. And there is going to come a time where the NHL is, is just going to say, we're going to stage a World Cup. And if you're going to f- force the Russia question here, they're not playing. Like the, the the international hockey can't stop 
just because there's not going to be Russian participation, because if there is, a lot of other countries will back out and want no part of that. Um, it's, a, it's a tough negotiation. Uh, it's really tricky to put together, and it's done in concert between the NHL and the Players Association. And I understand how difficult this is, while at the same time, you're helping to run the best league in the NHL. There are only so many hours in someone's day, week, month, year. I get that. Um, but it seems very much right away last season from the get-go, this thing was being pushed forward uh, by the players, and that was led by Sidney Crosby about how much you know he was you know training in the off-season, preparing uh, to play with certain players in the Olympics. Nathan McKinnon, same thing. Austin Matthews, same thing. Connor McDavid, same thing. I, I think that one of the best things that can be done, I'm on record as having said this for a number of years, one of the best things that I think um, can be done for this sport is to finally come together and put together an international calendar. Now, some things are completely unexpected and throw a wrench into all of it, and we all just went through a pandemic, and that's what scotched the NHL and, and their participation last year at the Olympics. But coming out of the lockout 204, 205, and I get that it's difficult to put together, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, that, that was an opportunity to put together a really comprehensive international program. Um, and I really hope that for the good of the game, which we continue uh, to hear about on a consistent basis, that can come together. So hockey fans don't just see these tournaments pop up, boom, out of nowhere. It's rather something they can look forward to and plan for, and it becomes a sidebar running all along each NHL season as everyone does their fantasy rosters for Slovakia and Sweden and Canada and Finland and the USA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I I just hope that they can get together on this one. And I, I do understand, too, that part of the, even though the games are great, Part of the lure of international hockey uh, has been diminished because these are already players that we see, right? These are a lot of NHLers just organized in a different way. Uh, instead of their club team, they're organized by country. Um, instead of by contract, it's by, con- by, by, by country. So I get that some of that mystique is gone. Like I was really privileged to have been born when I was for a number of reasons, but for hockey purposes, you know, Canada Cup 76 was my first big one. Uh, I was too young for 1972. Um, But there was a mystique about the Stasnys who are coming. There was always the mystique about the Soviet team, but that Czechoslovakian team um, had a a real mystique around it. And it was the first time that we saw uh, Peter Stasny. It was the first time we saw, you know, Vladimir Zorilla, who was, you know, the the inspiration for Dominic Hasek. I've told the story before. I can still remember my dad talking to me about Stasny and talking to me about Zorilla. But you never get a chance to see any of these players. Or when teams like the Red Army would do a barnstorming tour through the NHL, who are these players? You know, there was a mystique about them. I remember Jokerit did that as well. Played a game at Maple Leaf Gardens against the Maple Leafs. I think it was a 7-3 final, Jokerit beating the, beating the Maple Leafs. But there was a mystique about those players. And I get that in international hockey now, part of that mystique is gone. But the trade-off is, man, you get some great hockey. Like you get elite-level hockey 
And these are these are all star teams playing against one another. And I just hope for the sake of for the sake of hockey itself outside of the NHL, um, the league and the players' association can come together on a very sophisticated, comprehensive, and consistent calendar and schedule for international hockey. All right. Bracket that. Thanks to uh, Marty Walsh, uh, Executive Director of the NHL Players Association, for stopping by. Uh, Back to NHL affairs. And tonight, the Toronto Maple Leafs look to close out against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm saying that on Thursday, April the 27th. The Toronto Maple Leafs, did I say that right? Look to close out against the Tampa Bay Lightning up 3-1. to Can this be Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com? Did you think at the beginning of this series, and good afternoon, Mike, it's always a delight, that we'd be sitting here on Thursday afternoon wondering if the Maple Leafs can close out in five against maybe the best team in the salary cap era? Mike, your thoughts. Well, first of all, Jeff, thanks for having me on as usual. And uh, I just wanted to say before we broach this subject that uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, the soliloquy you just had about uh, international hockey. (laughs) It it is very, you know, it brings people together. I was just a kid in in 72, but I I remember 76. And even, you know, you go Sidney Crosby's golden goal, we can go down the list, but... um, you know, I, I know you're, you know, yeah, we are familiar with these players. They, a lot of them play in the NHL, but if you look at the World Baseball Classic that just finished, you know, a lot of those guys play in Major League Baseball too, but it didn't take away that much from the luster of the event. So I thought it was very well put by you. And as far as uh, tonight goes, uh, I got to say, you know, um, after... You know, heading into overtime of Game 3, where I thought after the first 10 minutes of that game, Tampa was as good as I've seen Tampa play. Um, I know the Leafs didn't play very good in that game, but you got to give Tampa credit, and I thought Sheldon Keefe was on point, saying that we've got their championship best. And the fact that the Maple Leafs won that game, the fact that their goaltender won them a game in the playoffs. I mean, Jeff, when's the last time we could say something like that to the effect of, you know, Belfour. do you have to go back to Belfour. Ed Belfour or Belfour? Kurt, yes, you know, Curtis Curtis Joseph, something like that. And then I thought in Game yeah. Four that they really gained momentum as the game went on. So, you know, you asked me, did I think at the beginning of the series it would be at this point? No, but I've also seen. Mm. Uh, things, aspects of the Maple Leafs game that we haven't seen in in previous series. Uh, Winning games that they were outplayed in. Um, You know, uh, having their best players be their best players. I mean, Mitch Marner, 10 points right now. Uh, Austin Matthews, I thought, in the third period of, of game four, took that game over. And I think that's what a lot of fans have been waiting to see, Jeff, is that you know, uh, the regular season is all fine and good, but if you want to create your legacy, um, you know, yeah. for these be- for the Leafs core, their best players, now is the time to do it. And I think, uh, you know, you can't argue with the production they've gotten from their best players. And uh, just as an addition, I don't want to forget Morgan Riley either because in the last three games, game two, four assists. Yeah. Game three, winning overtime yeah. goal. Game four, tying goal when they were down at four to one at one point. So uh, like I said, their best players have been 
their best players. So th- there's a there's a few things that I wanna that I wanna pick out of that answer, um, and, and I want to start with 2019 and the St. Louis Blues. And one of the things as I look around these playoffs is I still see that team everywhere, whether it's Vlad Tarasenko with the Rangers, whether it's Alex Petrangelo and Ivan Barbashev with the the Vegas Golden Knights, whether it's Vince Dunn and Jaden Schwartz with the Seattle Kraken. Like we still see 2019 St. Louis Blues everywhere, but I don't know that we're seeing anyone as effective from that team with their new team than Ryan O'Reilly with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know we talk about the you know the the core players that that Dubas has identified and locked up and and gambled with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, um, Morgan Riley. Throw them all in, but this is a different team with Ryan O'Reilly, and it's not just you know the the goals in front and winning faceoffs to etc. Et There's just it's a different squad with this player. And I know Ryan O'Reilly didn't have the best of all regular seasons. I don't think for a guy like O'Reilly that matters because this is where a player like him shines. Your thoughts on Ryan O'Reilly with the Maple Leafs so far? Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeff. And when, when they made that trade, um, you know, we had heard through the scu- all the scuttlebutt, oh, you know, maybe the Leafs uh, are looking at Patrick Kane and can pull something off for him. And this is no offense to Patrick Kane. And by the way, I'm driving on the Don Valley, so if I lose, you call me back uh, as I go up and down. It's actually not stop and, uh, it's actually not stop and go for a change, yeah. so I'm yeah. waiting to see how I, I, I know Haley's the spot comment. where you're going to lose me. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting to see how you're going to lose me, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, the, Jeff, here's all you need to know about him. Every optional morning skate, like there was, this morning ryan o'reilly is out there every practice he's the last guy off the off the ice um he just loves this time of year he loves playing hockey uh if you look and you know we talked about the regular season he's one of the few guys that has a better points per game ratio in his career in the playoffs than he does in the regular season and the other thing is he does not feel the weight of the world, the history of the shortcomings of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the postseason. He won the MVP, Good the Conn Smythe, in 2019. He's won a cup. Um, and to him, he's, you know, he tells his teammates, look, you can't be scared of this. This is fun. Let's have fun. And, I mean, you want to know the guy's influence? I mean, Matthew Nye's. Uh, you know, a lot of the reason he's playing so well is because of Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, it was no coincidence that in Tampa yeah. that the, their their cubicles were next to each other, okay? Um, that's the influence that this guy has. And John Tavares wears the C, um, and, and rightly so. But you know that Ryan O'Reilly is one of those, mm. you know, unspoken team leaders in there. And they look up to him because he's been there, done that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Matthew Nyes. Now, Nyes is in. Michael Bunting stays out. Uh, I think even when Bunting is coming back into this lineup, Matthew Nyes is going exactly nowhere. Uh, I know we haven't seen the production yet from Matthew Nyes, but do you not get the sense that 
every single game, the confidence is growing with this 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 young man, this the second round draft pick, uh, and eventually it's going to be one of those open up the floodgates for him. Like every single shift, the confidence is growing. He's getting his chances. Uh, sure, there's going to be you know growing pains with the green banana. I get that, but still. Do you not get the sense that it's only a matter of time before the production happens? Yeah, I, I agree, Jeff. And I'm trying to think if it was game three or four, but there was a play where O'Reilly crossed the blue line and just put the puck into an area behind the Tampa defense, but in front of Vasilevsky. And Nye yeah. split the defense, reached out, got the puck before it got to Vasilevsky and almost scored. And you're looking going wow, you know, their regular guys haven't shown that type of anticipation to go where the puck is going uh, like that. That's something to me that you can't teach. And, you know, people can argue about the lineup and inexperience all they want. Look, just watch the games. Watch the games. Watch the influence that this guy has. And he has not shown any kind of fear in the lead. And, you know, you get that sometimes from young players, especially college players, because let's be serious, Jeff. Like, these guys have not played against men before. And that's been the most impressive part to me, okay? Um, You know, there's great skaters in college, so it's not like the game is that much faster um, in the NHL than it is in college, but but it's the other things, the intensity, the hitting to playing against grown men. And this kid hasn't backed yep. off of it from the least. And and some of his teammates were saying today, you know, when you're a young guy and you play in your first playoff series, sometimes it's good to know what you don't know. And by that, they mean to be a little bit naive, to not let the moment mm-hmm. gain control over you and just go out and play. And to me, even though you might not see it on the score sheet, this kid has been one of these stories from a Toronto Maple Leafs perspective in, in this series for sure. Mike, Mike, let me ask you a question. It might be a kind of a weird one, but here we go. When's the last time you thought about Jake Muzzin? Well, first of all, we've known each other for a long time, so I can't catalog how many weird <laughs> questions you've asked me over the years. But having fair, said that's that, very fair, um, very fair. You know, the only reason that, that I have thought about Jake Muzzin is because I've seen him in the press box uh, several times. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, we talk so much about how they needed a Jake Muzzin-type presence with him out going into the playoffs. And they thought that, yeah. the, you know, Jake McCabe, uh, Luke Shen, I, th- I, I think that Luke has brought that physical presence Um you know, the, yep. the, the same type of thing that Muzzin can bring and does bring when he's healthy. I don't think that Jake McCabe has had the best series, to be perfectly honest. And he's never played in a playoff series before. And sometimes, you know, you see him playing tentative, which is not his game. So uh, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot more that we can see from Jake McCabe. And I do think that tonight uh, we will exactly see that. But I think that, uh, you know, the presence of Shen, um, it's funny. I've seen Luke play probably better now um, than in his first stint with the Leafs because he knows who he is. He knows 
what he's good at and what he isn't, and he's far better positionally. Mm. And I think that, you know, uh, Kyle Dubas made a lot of good moves at the deadline, and I think that Luke Shen is one of the reasons that we don't talk about Jake Muzzin too much. That's a, that, that's an excellent point. And the, and the reason I brought it up is I knew you would have an excellent answer, so uh, no surprise there. A um, couple of minutes on the Tampa Bay Lightning end of, uh, end of things here. Um, do you think that we're looking at, you know, right now, because, listen, I don't want to take anything away from Point and Kucherov and Sorelli and Stamkos. These are killers. But can you make the argument that in this series right now, the Maple Leafs' depth is beating Tampa's depth? Are you there on this series, Mike? I don't think I'm there yet, Jeff, because, I mean, look, at a couple of shots go the other way, and it's Tampa that's up 3-1 to one in the series. And I actually thought mm-hmm. that after the first 10 minutes in Game 3, they were the better team, and for the first half of Game 4, maybe, until Toronto got a little bit of traction. What I do think, and to your point, I thought that Tampa's uh, fourth line with Maroon and with Perry, and especially Perry, they were very disruptive in the first two games. And I haven't seen the same from them in games three and four. Uh, I think that'll revert back tonight. I think that, you know, Perry is public enemy number one in this town. Uh, they're going to boo him yeah. in warm-ups like they have the, last, the first two games in Toronto. And he's going to wave his arms at them to mock them because this is what kind of spurs <laughs> him on. And I also think, Jeff, be very, very cognizant tonight. We've heard all this talk about uh, Andre Vasilevsky and the traffic the Leafs are yep. getting in front of him. And he had that great quote yesterday. Maybe I should get myself a couple of, uh, you know, a set of bleeping uh, x-ray glasses. But... All this talk about the traffic that Toronto has been getting in front of Tampa's net, I think that Corey Perry is just going to be motivated to cause even more of the chaos that he's known of in front of Toronto's net. And I think, you know, they're going to get back to that. We didn't see that much of that um, in Tampa. And I think they're going to use it kind of the reverse psychology going like, you know, if, if, if if they're having success doing it, we're going to do it too. And I'm just going to end this answer on, a, on, on something. It's funny. You know, every, every playoff series, Jeff, everyone you and I talk about, everyone we cover, I mean, it's funny that sooner or later you'll get the coaches and the players saying, like, well, we got to get more traffic in front of the net. Well, my response yep. to that is, wasn't that one of your edicts going into the series? Whether they do it or not, yeah. that's always been a coach's game plan, no matter – what series yep. you're you're a part of in the National Hockey League? You know, it's um, it's uh, going back to when water froze and people realized you could take pieces of trees and pieces of rubber and play a game on the ponds. Uh, teams have been trying to do that, so that's not exactly a a, a newfound secret. Um, Zai's two hands on the wheel. You be safe. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Uh, should be an interesting one either way, no matter whether the Leafs close out or they're back to Amelie Arena for another game. Uh, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Always appreciate your insight, pal. It's always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Take care and enjoy the game. The great Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com covering the Toronto Maple Leafs Tampa Bay Lightning Series. Uh, the Leafs could close out tonight, which would 
I have no idea, what, to be honest with you, what would happen to the city. I think I have an idea what would happen to Toronto if they could finally shake the shake the bad spell uh, of uh, not getting past the first round. Uh, that would then lead into a number of other questions, too, and we'll get to those tomorrow if the Maple Leafs can, can close the deal tonight. But uh, you can watch this one. Uh, starting at 6.30 with Hockey Central, your pregame show with Ron McLean, uh, And then the puck drops just after 7. It is a Tampa Bay Lightning in Toronto to face off against the Maple Leafs. Watch it on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, other games tonight, the Rangers and the Devils, uh, Game 5. Again, no idea what to expect. No idea. This is Game 5, not at the twos. No one can win on home ice. It's the American Hockey League, Calder Cup, 1992 all over again. Adirondack and St. John's. No one can win on home ice. Everyone wins on the road. Uh, you can watch this one on Sportsnet 360. And then the late game, uh, Rick Bonus and the Winnipeg Jets trying to stave off elimination as banged up as they might be. No Shifley, no Morrissey. Game time decision for Nick Ehlers, although it does very much. The winds are blowing towards uh, Nick Ehlers playing tonight for the for the Winnipeg Jets. They look to stave off elimination at the hands of the Vegas Golden Knights. That one at 10 o'clock Eastern from T-Mobile Arena on CBC and Sportsnet. Three games tonight. Lots of great hockey on the horizon. The hockey's been fantastic, and uh, tonight will be no different than what we've seen since the puck dropped on the playoffs. Okay, uh, we'll hit a break. You're going to hear from Jordan Martinuk of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Elliot and I sat down with him a couple of weeks ago. There's some really good stuff in the whole interview. Uh, you can see the whole thing later on this afternoon on our Sportsnet YouTube channel. We just put the podcast out this morning. We'll play about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of it for you here in a moment. As the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so um, the latest 32 Thoughts podcast that just came out this morning uh, is an interview that Elliot and I did with Jordan Martinuk of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, as I mentioned in the the preamble to the interview, everything about Jordan Martinuk is hockey. He looks like a hockey player. He sounds like a hockey player. He's from Brandon, Manitoba, hockey mad Manitoba. Um, And everything about him just says he's really comfortable around hockey. And he's a go-to interview in the media in Carolina and Raleigh. I will tell you, he is a go-to after games, after skates, all of it. Uh, He's a great interview. Uh, Thoughtful guy, has a lot to say. Uh, Great personality and great stories, as you're about to hear in a couple of moments, including a really good one about his meeting with Gordy Howe. So here he is. This is part of the full interview. You can watch it later on our Sportsnet YouTube channel. The full podcast has already come out at your favorite podcatcher. Here's Jordan Martinuk of the Carolina Hurricanes as part of the 32 Thoughts podcast on the Merrick Show. Enjoy. What are your memories of playing with the Giants? I mean, there were, you know, big names around the team, and not just on the team yourself and Brendan Gallagher, but, you know, I mentioned Pat Quinn uh, around the team. Like, these were big names. I have a picture in uh, my mom's house that uh... – I got named captain at Christmas time my second year when uh, Galley went away for World Juniors. So um, we had a Gordie Howe night 
I don't know, about a month after they got back. And Gordie Howe was still still alive and came. And I got a Gordie Howe hat trick the night he was in the building for Come wearing on. the Gordie wow. Howe jersey. So no way. Um, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. Uh, I skated to the box after I fought and I threw my elbow up in the air, like where I thought where he was sitting. And uh, obviously, looking back on it now, that's like typical junior kid. Hey, but that's good. I I, th- I thought Gordy Howe in the stands, you can uh, you can do do a little something. But absolutely um, love it. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing memory. I I feel bad because we had some we had a couple good teams there and we just never ever really did anything with it when you look back at it but I had a great time there and got me ready for for pro hockey that's for sure being under dawn you know I guess we should go to the storm surge because you had a key part in that and I remember um so I can't remember who told me this I think it was one of your former teammates in Arizona but he said that he thought the storm surge was really dumb and then he said when Evander Holyfield showed up and knocked you out or whoever was yeah, knocked yeah. out he said he had to call you and tell you that night won me over like that was cool <laughs> yeah yeah no we and let's be honest there that first year there was a couple we're running out of things to do it was just we'd sit at pregame meal and we'd be grinding for an hour and a half trying to come up with ideas and we'd get fans writing us we're like hey we did like a fan vote or let's mm-hmm. give us some ideas and i think out of 150 ideas they gave us we could use maybe two of them so mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of work to come up with these things and um a couple of them just kind of fell into our lap like the Holyfield one with him coming to the game it mm-hmm. was like justin williams came up to me before the game and he's like hey you're gonna be the main character of the storm surge tonight and i was like okay great what am i doing he's like you'll see I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'll see. Like, I kind of need to know what I'm doing. He's you didn't like, no, no. He's like, you'll see. And then obviously when he came, uh, Holyfield talked to us before the game and I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and then they brought, brought out some boxing gloves and, um, I did a little acting in my high school days. So I tried to act it up a little bit, but yeah, that first year, obviously with the storm surge and just the way our team was, and it was kind of a fitting thing for the way our team was Mm -hmm. we felt like we were kind of i don't know not under the underdogs or the team that shouldn't have been there and we're doing this wacky new thing and yeah it was uh it was a cool year now this i have a lot of follow-ups out of this question number one did you ever imagine that you would make the nhl and the thing you would be spending most of your time on would be what's what we're going to do with the storm (laughs) surge tonight yeah no exactly (laughs) that's uh i think that's why we couldn't continue it as much as the fans wanted to just because you can't do you can't do for say you win 70 percent of your home games yeah. you can't it's hard it's so, so basically hard. the storm surge ended because the hurricanes are too good well it's just you yeah, run out of ideas to run out of ideas too fast I, I think if the way you put it like that i think the fans can uh appreciate that so we'll put it that way now what okay you mentioned we you still got, do a little yeah I understand, right? I understand. it's not the i, understand. I yeah. believe me creativity is hard yeah. like I, I i i get that but you mentioned you got a lot of suggestions you couldn't use what was one suggestion that you wish you could have done but you couldn't or maybe the wildest suggestion a fan sent in. They wanted us to shotgun storm brew, like the beer that they have for the Hurricanes. They wanted us all to shotgun <laughs> a, a storm brew on on the ice. I thought that was that one could have been pretty fun. But oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. That highlight would have been played forever. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody grab. Yeah, that, I thought that one could have been fun, but didn't happen. <laughs> 
This is a fascinating team. Uh, I want to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. Like I look at this Canes team and I say, this is a team that is a combination of new school skill and old school tactics. Mm -hmm. Like this is a team that a lot of the decisions are run based on how your crew measures the game and analytics specifically. Mm -hmm. Yet when I watch the Carolina Hurricanes play, it doesn't look like a team that's being led by analytics. Like it's a team, it's a Rod Brindamore coach team that has analytics as its fuel to govern how the roster is put together, for example. How do you find that balance? When we're clicking and we're humming as we should, it's, it all kind of, every, I feel like everybody will say this, but it stems from our work ethic and it, it doesn't matter if it's Aho or me or Stahl or anybody, it's everybody's working their butt off. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I feel like once you, once that gets going, then you can see our, the skill of our team kind of take off and our team, we want to break them down. And you can usually see when we're playing our best, it's we're dominating down in their end and mm-hmm. we might, might not score every time or we might not, we'll get a lot of chances, but then they're not coming back at us. And I th- think, I think that's probably one of our main strategies is if we want to make them as tired as they can, cause they're not coming a hundred mile an hour at us. And then you can, roll it over and they just they're it's fun to watch when teams you can just see their tongues hanging out and they're coming up the ice and they're like oh they're coming at us again and you talk to guys playing against guys that we know and stuff it's like they come into carolina they're like oh boy we better like everybody just knows it's like here here they come here they come it's Mm -hmm. i feel like that's something that we try and hang our hat on and we always say our our work ethic will be first and foremost and then the skill takes over from there from a player's point of view because i know it's easy to say, and the story's been well told about, you know, Rod Brindamore sets like a standard mm-hmm. on this team. But as far as players go, like who sets the work rate? Like who sort of dictates like, guys, this is the level we have to stay at? Oh, I, it's definitely Roddy is his, it just starts from day one. That's, it's his speech that you walk into training camp, you do your medicals and he does a speech and you're, if he, he says either you get on the bus or you're getting, or we'll find somebody else. And then you, you're like, okay, well, if I want to be a part of this, I better, this is what I got to do. And, and then obviously you look at Jordan Stahl, what he does night in and night out, his game doesn't change. It's if Roddy could design a player, I think that's who he's designing. So hmm. um, I think Jordo definitely leads the way. And then, and then you got Aho, who's our best player that hates to lose more than anybody I've ever met in my life. And hmm. he's works as hard as anybody on his game and just, every aspect so when your captain leads the way and your superstar leads the way it's uh it's you you just follow (laughs) that's kind of how it works is Brindamore still like the biggest animal in the room among the or in the in the gym among the organization or is like I remember Stahl seeing him at 19 and the Penguins put like one attach one of those sleds to him and he's pulling the weights along and and they said at 19 he was the strongest player on Pittsburgh so is it them or is there someone else who kind of runs the gym a bit Jordo's definitely he's just an ox he's like yeah he's just a beast and then Svetch is probably our next strongest guy and uh, obviously Burnsy's still a beast yeah. too so yeah. and then yeah Roddy Roddy's in there all the time so he, he's uh he's up there also <laughs> what's Burns been like since he got here what you... awesome he's yeah awesome yeah I it's fun I, I feel like I've sat with him at a lot of team dinners and sometimes uh, on the bus he he has 
five backpacks that he brings. So sometimes he usually sits at the front because he doesn't want to lug them all the way to the back. But um, so he'll come back and we'll have a longer bus ride. And it's just just to hear chat him up about not even hockey stuff, just some of the things he's done is is pretty cool. Just to pick his brain and hear hear all about some of the things he's done. Can you give us an example? Um, well, he did this like the shooting thing in I was like Utah or Wyoming and it was like with ex Marines or ex uh, like high ranking army people mm-hmm. and they had it was like teams of four and they, it was like a three day camp they had to go out and it was almost like a competition like kind of like not like a hunger games thing but um, they had to go shoot from a thousand feet away and they had to hit it and all their team members had to be a part of it and they had to mm. run up hills and wow. it was uh, it was like a them? like an iron man for these like for shooting pretty much wow and you had to go with your team and yeah you, you said it was insane and then at night they'd obviously make camp with all the teams and mm-hmm. get to hear stories about all these guys and some of the missions they've done and he's met some cool people that's for sure uh, Jordan Martinuk is a really cool dude, and that was uh, part of a conversation Elliot and I had with him. Uh, you can hear the latest edition of the 32 Thoughts podcast uh, on your favorite platform, whether it's here at Sportsnet, whether it is Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Take your pick. Um, that's available now. Also, uh, later today, I want to say like 3 o'clock Eastern, we do these like pop-up video um, style uh, video shots, uh, videos of the uh, of the interviews that we do, and so... We package it all up in a series, and so Jordan Martinuk is part of it. Uh, he'll be part of our uh, pop-up hockey facts. I don't know if that's an actual name or title. I'm just saying it now. Our pop-up hockey facts uh, video of the uh, of the interview we did with Jordan Martinuk a couple of weeks ago uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, we thank Jordan on a day after they lost to the Buffalo Sabres and things weren't good. Uh, made himself available for a long time, and we uh, we thank him for his time and attention. Uh, okay, so his Carolina Hurricanes aren't playing tonight. They're playing tomorrow against the Islanders. Carolina leads the series 3-2. Matt Marchese is aboard here, our producer, to close out the program. Also, the Dallas Stars uh, look to close out against the Minnesota Wild tomorrow at the XL Energy Center. We'll talk more about these series tomorrow, and we'll talk about what happens tonight. But meanwhile, Maddie, are you getting the Joe Pavelski's coming back feeling around the Dallas Stars? Well, why don't we hear from uh, Pete DeBoer, head coach of the Dallas Stars, on that one? Okay. Joe, obviously been progressing and mm-hmm. everything. Is there any chance he travels with you guys? For I think there's a chance he travels for sure. Yeah, I think he's planning on traveling. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would call him a game time decision right now. We'll see. Haven't seen him today. He's getting better every day. Clinton's on uh, skating tomorrow. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. He'll skate tomorrow. Yeah. Joe Pavelski, too old, too slow, too good. That's what we say about uh, the future Hall of Famer. So that would be good news both for Pavelski uh, if he gets in because that means he's healthy, uh, Maddie, and that's uh, importance number one. And two, as much as Tyler Sagan has looked good on that top line with Jason Robertson and Rupe Hens, Pavelski's part of that top line, man, and it's been one of the best lines in the NHL for a couple of seasons now. Um, okay, so just want to make sure we threw that one in. Tonight, it's uh, it's a huge one. Uh, Winnipeg, we may see handshakes at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, we may see handshakes in Toronto as well. And I have no idea what we're going to see between the Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. Uh, those are the three games on board tonight. Which one holds your interest mostly? Well, that would be what happens in Toronto. Because if the Maple Leafs win, the city of Toronto will be 
Insane. Um, like a Stanley Cup light party. That's what it kind of feels like uh, if it were to happen tonight. Which, I mean, it shouldn't because I would I would say act like you've been there before, but the majority of the people that would be there have never been there before. <laughs> so so I get it. Act like you've been there before the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> it's not... Line. It's it's true though. Like they they can't actually act like they've been there. So, I I think that yeah. it, I think it's going to be a great game just to begin with because I think you're going to see Tampa's best. They have no choice it, because if they don't, they they well I don't know. I can't say if they if they don't bring it, they won't win because they brought it in two straight games at home and they lost both of them. Um, so I, I yeah, it's a very curious one, but. In the other series, like the, I feel for Winnipeg in their series because they're. It's not like they're it's playing tough, badly; man. they just don't have the bodies. Like you guys mentioned earlier with Elliot, like they just don't have the yeah. players. Like if Shifley's there, if Morrissey's there, and Ehlers may be back tonight, I mean, then I feel a little bit better about their chances. But I will say, and Elliot mentioned it, Hellebuck hasn't stolen one yet, and I think that we might get that performance tonight. We'll see. He's got the potential to do it, and if he doesn't, then there are serious, serious questions we're asking about the Winnipeg Jets, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's, you know, what does Shevel Day off do uh, in the off season? We'll park that conversation for now, and we'll see what happens with Winnipeg, but this is going to be, especially if they go out tonight, this will be one of the more intriguing teams to watch in the off season. Like, I think Pittsburgh is going to be fascinating. A number of reasons there. Uh, Washington's going to be interesting. Philadelphia is going to be interesting. And I think if Winnipeg goes out tonight, or whenever Winnipeg goes out, I think the Winnipeg Jets are going to be one of the more fascinating teams um, as well. So, the evening kicks off with the Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. That one at 7 o'clock Eastern. Don't forget, 6.30 Eastern Hockey Central, your pregame show with Ron McClain gets underway. Uh, first game, Leafs and Bolts. Uh, second game on Sportsnet 360, it's the Rangers and the Devils. Series tied at twos, game five there. Game five at T-Mobile Arena. Vegas looks to close out against the Winnipeg Jets. Thanks to everyone who stopped by. Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. Marty Walsh, the executive director of the NHL Players Association. Always good catching up with Linda Cohn uh, from ESPN. She's in Vegas for game five. And as Maddie just mentioned, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Uh, thank to Frank, thanks to Frank Baraska for, uh, for filling in today, working the cameras. Uh, thanks to Lance Kennedy, as always. And you just heard from Matt Marchese. Big night, deep breath, see what happens. 22 hours, we're back on The Merrick Show.